You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 460 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, I guess you'll be hearing this on Monday morning, most of you at least, but recording a little bit earlier than normal and uh, kind of a sleepy Sunday, but uh, on the heels of what transpired on Saturday night. Um, and actually, you know, the, the guest on today's podcast was in the building with me, sitting next to me, talking about all this stuff offline. So we decided to bring it online. And joining me today is the great Jeff Siegel. What's up, man? Doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Um, you know, we could talk a lot about Saturday, and we can do that if we want to, but uh, that was an awful basketball game, and I said that um, on on this podcast yesterday as we are recording here. Um, the Hawks lost by 12 points. I don't really care about that necessarily, but it was just really bad basketball, so I, I think my original plan in talking to you about doing this was to talk about more more about the game, but because it was so ugly, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but what did you see specifically from Saturday other than the fact that both teams did not play particularly well? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty awful. Um, both teams just couldn't couldn't get anything going offensively, and it wasn't necessarily the defenses from either team that were good. It was just that the offenses were terrible. Uh, you know, sometimes you see defenses, you know, I, it was not a defensive battle other than the fact that the score wasn't very high. So it was, just, you know, it was pretty ugly. But, uh, you know, there were some interesting, you know, interesting components. I thought the uh, – Atlanta's rotations were sort of solidifying and that, uh, you know, the few guys who were not in the rotation continue to consistently not be in the rotation. Herter and Spellman are, you know, continuously in the rotation. They, they see those guys as, as key building blocks, of course, since they drafted them. So, you know, I think they, they, they're throwing those guys into the fire immediately and, and some of them are better than others. But, uh, you know, I think the, I think what we've seen from the rookies has been, has been overall probably more more positive than I would have expected, you know, four or five games into the year. Yeah, I would agree, and we can sort of pivot away from away from Saturday just because this big picture stuff is probably more interesting. You know, it's five games. That's not very much of the season, but still enough to make some takeaways, at least some moderate some uh, moderate takeaways. I think from the first five games. One thing that I think we were just talking about offline before we started recording is that. It's a little bit tough to evaluate the Hawks so far because of the schedule they played. We knew coming into the season that the schedule early on was really going to be pretty soft for Atlanta, but it's actually, I think, even been a little bit worse than we imagined it being. You know, they the games they played, of course, there was the Knicks, the Grizzlies, the Cavs, the Mavs, and the Bulls. Um, at this moment, none of those teams are going to are going to make the playoffs, in my opinion, and a few of them are just ghastly, like Chicago. We both had very low opinions of Chicago coming into the year, and now they're even, you know, they have four guys out, and that's a really, really bad basketball team that we saw on Saturday night. Uh, Cleveland, you know, fired Teron Liu today because they're so bad. Uh, we can talk about that as, uh, I guess we can probably not do that on, the, on this particular podcast about the uh, whether that was justified or not, but that's a really bad basketball team too. New York is bad. Memphis is, you know, feisty, but not a team that's going to be, you know, blowing anybody away right now. And the Mavericks, so, you know, Two and three, I think it's probably a little bit better than I would have envisioned based on the fact that John Collins has not played in these games. But how do you sort of, I don't, how do you evaluate this team knowing that the schedule has been so soft, like the easiest in the league so far, and the numbers and all that fun stuff, like sort of viewing it through that lens? Yeah, I mean, I think the, if you're looking at it through that lens, the, the, their 11th ranked defense by cleaning the glass 
probably is not they're, they're not the 11th best defense they're probably not even the 25th best defense really i mean they're just not good on that end of the floor um you know they they probably got helped quite a bit from from last night's game against chicago the 29th in offense does sort of scare me a little bit just because like if the, these are supposed to be the be- the worst teams in the league and if they're still not scoring that seems like a problem. Some of their games are better than others, obviously. You know, and when Trey Young gets going, that helps them in such a big way. But he doesn't have that that night to night consistency yet. Like you, you know, I mean, you wouldn't expect him to. But you know, as soon as he gets that going, then they'll they'll be a lot better on that end of the floor. And then you know, just it is what it is with Jeremy Lin right now. He's not been who we expected him to be. He's not been who you know most of us thought he he would be or could be. For this Hawks team, he's really been pretty poor for them so far. It seems like that's mostly a physical injury thing that he's still recovering from that knee injury from last year, and he's he's just easing his way back into it because he doesn't have the sort of burst and explosiveness that you would have expected him to to have based on the rest of his career. But if that's a, a more permanent thing, then that's going to be a, a long term problem for this team. Yeah, and, and I agree. I mean, defensively, I think anyone that watches this team and sees the personnel would know that this is not going to be a middle-of-the-pack defense this year. And, you know, I think you and I were both kind of surprised in seeing that number even today, looking looking at it before the podcast. Uh, it is schedule-related, to be sure. They have not played a single, what I would even describe as an average offense. Uh, I think the only team that's in the top 15 or so in NBA.com's offensive rating stats um, right now on offense that they played against is Dallas. And Dallas... Um, is not at full strength and uh, is kind of uh, weirdly um, put together at this point in time. So with that said, I mean they're playing against you know Cleveland's offense is bottom uh, bottom ten, uh, Memphis bottom ten in the league in offense, New York is bottom five in offense. Um, so all these teams that they're playing against are not necessarily uh, bringing a lot of firepower to the table. So we're gonna see that stabilize, I'm sure. If I were to ask you right now if you think this team's going to be better on offense or defense versus the rest of the league for the entire season, what would you say? Because I think we both would have, we both would have said defense was going to be the, the bigger problem, I think, coming into the year. Do you still feel that way, or do, would you, do you think the offense is going to be worse than defense for the entire season? For the entire season, I'm still going to go with offense over defense just because as Young continues to, to improve, as the guys continue to sort of gel in Lloyd Pierce's offense, as things you know, just as the season wears on, I expect the offense to uptick and the defense I obviously very much expect to to come back to earth once they have to play some real offensive teams. Um, you know, and once they get onto a West Coast trip, you know, they're going to play the Lakers and the Warriors back to back, not back to back, but like two games in a row, I think in mid-November, that's going to put a, you know, a, a big dent in their in their defensive rating. So, you know, I, I do expect them to be better offensively. Their talent is much better offensively. And especially, you know, now that they've got Herter in the rotations, Amari Spellman, like these guys are, are offense first players. And of course, you know, Trey Young and, and Jeremy Lin are both offense first. Bazemore is a two-way guy. Torian Prince has that defensive, you know, length and reputation and you you sort of expect more out of him but he's been much more of a, uh, an offensive presence so far so really they are a, a much much better suited toward running and gunning and playing an offensive style so i do still expect the offense to be better than the defense by the end of the year yeah I, and i agree i i do think you know i wanted to ask you it's probably a good time to do that now um 
just kind of about the rookies in general, but you know, I think Trey's defense has been ahead of where I thought it was going to be. That's not, you know, anything groundbreaking. I think he's still below average. There's no question about that. But he's been a little bit better than I thought. Um Kevin Herter's been pretty good defensively for the most part. I know there's been some there are times when he when his lack of strength shows up, but I think he's been pretty solid on that in the floor in general. Spellman, it kind of depends on the day and what he's being asked to do. He's much better when he's playing center. When he's playing power forward, it's kind of ugly in the open floor. Just he needs to be a quicker and all that fun stuff. But what have you seen from those guys? I think offensively kind of speak for itself in some ways, but what have you seen from those guys overall? I know Trey gets all the headlines. We can talk about him a lot um, or as much as you want to, but uh, the rookies are sort of the guys who everyone is paying attention to early on in the season because everybody else, to some degree, we kind of know what they are, but the rookies have been, you know, as you mentioned before, a little bit, probably a little bit better than we thought on the whole. But what have you seen, uh, particularly defensively, from those three guys? Because I know a lot of Hawks fans are, uh, you know, wanting to know what we think about that, and especially because I, th- I just think it's harder for, especially for casual fans, to evaluate defense. So, what have you seen from those three guys on the end of the floor? I mean, I think Young is the is the one who stands out because he was billed as clearly the worst defender, maybe in the whole draft. You know, and it was very much a size thing. It was an effort thing. It was something that he couldn't really focus on because he had so much of an offensive load at Oklahoma that you know he just he couldn't be a two-way guy at 6 foot. He's listed at 62, but he's not more than like maybe 6 foot and it's just it would have been hard for him to to be a defensive presence in college. And so you know my expectations were that he might be one of the five worst defenders in the league for his rookie year at least and and really maybe even going forward in in terms of experienced point guards you know, who, who have to defend their position. I expected him to be very poor in that regard. And he has been better. He's been a lot better than I expected him to be considering my expectations were so low. He's been fine. You know, I think he's been, he's somebody that they can put on a perimeter guy who is not as threatening and he's not going to just get killed. You know, he does have his issues. Of course, the size, sometimes he gets lost off the ball. His effort isn't as, as good as you want it to be at some, at some points, but by and large, I think his his effort has been better than I expected. His willingness to fight in in the post, especially and just against bigger guys, I do think has you know does need some work. You know, he'll just get stronger, get more experienced with with that stuff, and I think he'll get better with it. But that has been you know a, a sore spot. I know Dallas went after him quite a bit last Wednesday uh, with uh, with Dennis Smith in the post, and they had some success there. He would sometimes gamble to to get steals or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's going to be a a tough spot for him. Obviously, post-defense from your point guard is not the end of the world, but we're seeing a little bit more of that, you know, this year, last year, where point guards are sort of, you know, passing it off to the wing and then cutting down and and being a a post-up threat. We saw that a lot from Drew Holiday in the playoffs last year. You know, I think that's something that, you know, obviously we've seen from Sean Livingston quite a bit, but he's sort of a weird point guard, whereas Drew is, is really a sort of classic, combo guard who just gets down there and overpowers people and we're going to see a lot more of that and how young deals with that sort of of attack at his at his position is going to be very difficult for him so you know that i think we're still in wait and see mode i mean obviously five games in we're in wait and see mode with pretty much everybody but uh young's defense has been better than i expected the other guys herder is has been better really across the board you know we just I didn't know what to expect from him. We did not see for, you know much from him in summer league. We knew he was going to be a good shooter. We knew that he had, you know, those of us who sort of paid attention during the draft process knew that he was going to have a little more off the dribble handling and passing game than uh, 
than a lot of pure shooters, than a lot of guys like Redick, Corver. These get you know these guys don't have that take two dribbles and make a good decision with the ball. Herter already has that. He's a very good decision maker. He's very active offensively, defensively. You know, I've liked a lot of his his mental stuff. A lot of his rotations are good. You see, you know, I, I remember a play in the first quarter, maybe early second last night against Chicago. Dwayne Dedman has to rotate over to uh, to take away a, a drive to the rim, and Herter's on the backside, and he crashed down and and was part of securing that rebound, and that's. You know, that's the stuff that is really important. That's the stuff that we've seen from Herder defensively on the wing that we probably haven't seen as much from a guy like Trey Young, who is defending the point of attack a little bit more. So his rotations don't matter as much, but he's been a, a little bit worse on that front than, than Herder has. But Herder's been fantastic at that. You know, he's, he's good at, you know, taking the two dribbles and finding the open man when he beats his guy. You know, that's something that, that he showed a little bit in college, but has been pretty solid so far throughout his, uh, throughout these first five games. Spellman is a guy who brings a lot of energy and doesn't (laughs) really have a whole lot else to do. He's not that good. He just really isn't. Um, he, they throw him out at the four and that just doesn't do him any favors. He couldn't stay in front of Jabari last night at all. And, and Parker, you know, if you, if you really look at it, Parker didn't kill him because the shots didn't go down, but all the shots he got and all the shots he generated for his teammates were really good. And, and I think the Hawks were lucky not to get, get just absolutely mauled when, when Spellman was at the four, especially against Parker, because he's better than, than Spellman is. and, And most guys are, and, and Spellman just has, if he can play center, that's great. If he's playing the four, that's not going to work. And really, even at center, it might not work that well defensively. He's just not very good on that on that side of the floor, no matter where you play him. Yeah, I mean, I do think that Spellman's offensive game is very interesting and very intriguing, and I, I assume that's what the Hawks saw in him when they drafted him in the first round. Uh, you can see flashes on that end of the floor, like his decision making is good. His actually he's been he's been a pretty good passing um, early on in the season. There's probably a little bit too much in the way of turnovers, but I think Spellman's offense is where his value lies right now. Um, the floor spacing and the, all that fun stuff defensively, it's kind of funny. I I have I'm with you that right now he's unplayable at the four. Um, I actually do think that there is some potential value in playing him there for the future to help him get more comfortable on the perimeter. Um, that's sort of a thing you're probably squinting at to try to get to that kind of value point because he's just going to be bad on the four right now. But because the games don't necessarily matter um, in terms of record, it could be a learning experience. I think I, this is probably the most famous example of this, of a guy playing out of position that's helping them is actually Zach Levine, who we saw the other night, who everyone, including me, made fun of the Wolves a lot for playing him at point guard. And it probably helped him um, in terms of his development. It was bad for the team on the floor, and that's the same thing with Spellman. Like it's obviously a different comparison, but I do think that there is some value in having him put in some positions where he's going to get beat right now, and maybe that helps him uh, down the line. But yeah, defensively, you know, I've said this a lot a lot of times already, but defensively, he's really far behind where he where I think fans think he probably is right now. He does because he plays hard. He looks like he's better than he is defensively, but offensively there is some talent there, and there have been nice moments defensively. I think more more of that is when he's playing center and asked to play a role that he's more familiar with, like he was in college when he's playing center full time. Um, we'll see what happens there, but you know I, I generally agree with all of the fact that I mean Spellman, I was famous and famously not very high on that draft pick, but you can see what the Hawks saw in him. Kevin Herter's been good as you said, and Trey Young, I can't I mean acknowledging that he was bad on Saturday night, I can't imagine 
anyone thinking he that this is some sort of disappointment. He's been better than he possibly could have rationally been expected to be through five games. So uh, pretty pretty good signs there across the board when it comes to the rookies. Uh, I do want to ask you about a couple, a couple of other guys, but before we get to that, I do have to tell people about the good folks at Vivid Seats. Uh, we all love a night out, whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd cheering on our favorite team, whether that be the Hawks or the Falcons or otherwise. But with Vivid Seats, you can, tell, you can attend the concert, the show, or the sporting event of your choice at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all live events that you want to go to. And that means all kinds of options, including this, the entire Hawks season, the upcoming Falcons season as they continue there, uh, the Braves, once they're, once they're back in season, and all that fun stuff. So you can sort by price or look for seats in a section or row of your choice. And to make things even better for you, Vivid Seats is giving listeners to this podcast an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive $20 off of orders, $200 or more. You can save even more money with that. So go to the App Store or Google Play or wherever you like to listen to uh, stuff like that and download the Vivid Seats app. You can use the promo code Locked On. The Promo code is locked on for twenty dollars off of orders, two hundred dollars or more as a new as a new customer of Vivid Seats. And every single purchase is backed by one hundred percent buyer guarantee. And from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater tickets and much much more, Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app, enter promo code locked on. That's one more time. It's locked on for twenty dollars off of orders, two hundred dollars or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. All right, Jeff. Uh, I do want to ask you about Dwayne Dedman because that's sort of a pivot from the young guys, but because we, we kind of know what he is, but I think people almost forgot that Dwayne Dedman's very good at basketball because he's been out for a while. He was the only guy I would describe as playing very well um, on Saturday night. I think I was probably even over the top in praising him, but he was so, so good on Saturday. It was a good reminder to people that he's the team's best center. Um, what do you make of him and the way that um, obviously he's back now? I think he might be playing starters minutes sooner rather than later. He kind of played starters minutes in that game on Saturday, but in contrasting him, and Alex Lynn, who's been inconsistent. There's been some nice moments from him, but uh, I think it's pretty safe to assume that we both think that Dwayne Dedman's better than Alex Lynn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dwayne Dedman has run circles around Alex Lynn, and he's just he's just better across the board. He's not as physically imposing, but that's not what you need from your center nowadays, and it's really not what the, the Hawks need from their center. The way the, the, the pace that they play at requires a guy like Dedman who – can really shoot the ball like Alex Len can can shoot the ball from the corners when he's fully set up when he's totally unguarded and he gets the pass right to his chest and it's everything has to align all the stars have to be in the right places there has to be all the doors have to be closed just in case like it's really very specific when he can shoot the ball dead men they can run plays for him he can come off of screens like but you know Budenholzer last year had him coming off of screens to shoot threes at the top of the key on the wings in the corners. Deadman is a, is a way more versatile shooter, a way more versatile offensive player than, than Alex Len probably ever will be. You know, obviously Len has some, some upside to explore. He's still, you know, a little bit younger, obviously is, is, has gotten a lot better just in the last six months since he moved from, from Phoenix to, to Atlanta. He's a much better passer than I expected him to be. Uh, you know, they're running some stuff from him for him through, you know, through him at the elbows where he's able to make decisions. He's able to make the right pass. He does that 50 to 60 percent of the time, which is not awful. He's getting better every every time out. I mean, they're they're throwing him out there and, and letting him learn how to do things. And, and so, you know, I think Len has some value and obviously is a you know, I think he was a bargain for you know, the four and a half million that they spent on him. I think that's a, a good contract for them, a good contract for him considering where he was. Uh, but Deadman is, is clearly the better player here. 
Yeah, and uh, no surprises there, honestly. It's just I think fans, especially early on when Lynn was looking good, um, got a little excited about that, and that's fine. I, I have been a vocal proponent of that contract. It made a lot of sense when it happened. He uh, looked pretty good at times. He's going to be inconsistent, but I think Deadman is just obviously the team's best center, and at some point in the, near, in the very near future, I think we'll see him back uh, in the starting lineup, so I always wanted to acknowledge that. Uh, one more guy that I have to ask you about because – um, he's been intriguing, and, and you and I talked about him a lot in the preseason, and even before that is DeAndre Bembry. Um, Bembry has been good this year. I think that's um, not a surprise to you and I, who both like him a, a little bit, but I think he's even been better than I expected him to be, considering just how um, out of the mix he was for the first two years. Um, but you know, what have you seen from Bembry? And I tweeted this, and I think you uh, also tweeted about it after the fact that he was a part of the Hawks' best lineup uh, at least until John Collins gets back, I think he's part of the Hawks' best lineup right now, and that says a lot considering where he was just a couple months ago. Yeah, I mean, we were sitting here a month ago, maybe maybe a little more, maybe like five, six weeks ago, before they opened preseason training camp, and I wrote a thing that said, like, if ben, there's a chance that Bembry's not on this team come October 31st, you know, or even at the start of the season. Like, if they like somebody out of camp, which, you know, nobody popped out of camp, but, you know, there was a chance that he didn't see his option picked up. Maybe they cut him and, and they, they pick up somebody else. We were even thinking of that with relation to Alex Poitras, who we both like. I obviously like him a little bit more than, than almost anybody. Um, you know, and, and I was thinking, like, if Poitras is good and they want him on a full-time contract, Bembry is going to be in the mix, in the conversation for the guy who might go. And just because he hadn't been healthy and he wasn't that good when he was healthy, particularly, he had, you know, trouble turning the ball over, which has continued into this year. He does turn the ball over quite a bit, but we, we just weren't sure that, you know, how, how uh, Schlenk felt about him, of course, because he wasn't a Schlenk draft pick. There were a lot of signs pointed toward Bembry might really not be in the league even like he might not be on the Hawks. He might not find his way onto a, onto the, an NBA floor this year. And then he got out there and we were reminded, oh, yeah, this kid can play. This guy is, fights on defense, is a very good 2-3, you know, 1-2-3 defender, can, can really even play small ball four if they want him to. You know, defensively, he can hold up there. Offensively, it's almost better for him the higher up in the, in the positions he goes because he can make some, make some plays and, and his lack of shooting is not as pronounced as he gets into small forward and, and power forward spots depending on who's, you know, who's defending him. So, you know, he's, he can pass, he can score, he can get, he can get to the rim. He just, the, the, the outside shot needs to be more consistent. He needs to be more confident in his outside shot. He had a, just a wide open opportunity early in, in the game where in against Chicago, where his guy was way behind the play. The ball came out to him and he wasn't confident in his shot, and he ended up traveling, trying to get to the rim with nobody in front of him. It wasn't like the guy forced him into a travel. He just like pump faked and like faked himself out into a, into a travel. And so like that, those are the sort of plays that you know obviously he needs to he needs to work on a little bit. But you know if he can get some confidence in that shot, the shot looks good so far. I mean I think it's it doesn't aesthetically look pleasing, but if it goes in, it goes in, and he's not. He, he just doesn't have the, the confidence in it to take those kinds of shots. He has he does have some tendencies to try to get to the rim and then throw up some shots that aren't great. You know, some some longer floaters that we you know we, we would like. Uh, I think I would like to see him sort of convert those either to you know shots at the rim, take the three, you know, take you know even take a you know an elbow jumper off the dribble if he can get to that point, or try to find one of his teammates. He's a great passer. 
great defender. So I think, you know, we went from, I don't know if this guy is going to be on the team to he's their fifth best player right now with Collins out and is probably their sixth best player when Collins is back. He's, you know, he's right there where he's going to be a big part of the team this year and he's going to be a big part of the team going forward. Yeah, I like Bembry. I always have, but, uh, you know, he's been playing better than I thought he was going to play. The shooting, it's funny. He looks more confident than he has in the past. He still he still doesn't take a ton of volume, but uh, it's a very, very small sample. But he's 7 of 13 from three, and it looks good when he shoots it. Yeah, 5 open. for 8 from above the break, too, which is nice. It's not just yeah, a I mean, guy. Like, he can, he can take those shots from... From above the break, obviously, five for eight is about as small a sample as you can get. <laughs> right. It I mean, better it, than we expected. It looks good, too. Like, it's not like he doesn't look terrified when he's open. Like, he shoots it, and it's, it's uh, not going to always go at that rate. But the fact that he's able to do that with some more confidence right now is encouraging. Um, you know, overall efficiency will be a question for him offensively. But considering what he brings defensively, um, that there's a lot of help there. And I think he'll be in the rotation even when everybody's back and healthy. And that includes, you know, Anderson and Collins as they return here. So, um, I guess you know one more thing that I wanted to uh, hit on with you is sort of the is sort of the pace that the Hawks are playing at. Um, the Hawks are playing at at the league's fastest pace according to uh, NBA.com stats. Not a huge surprise; they're going to be playing fast throughout the season. Lloyd Pierce has said that over and over again. Um, people were laughing when I was talking about him. Him saying he was disappointed with like 43 point attempts the other night. Uh, that was like I think it was like last week. I think he wants to shoot a ton of threes and play really fast. And that's not always just a cure all, which people I think have accused me of saying. And it's not that I'm saying that it's that I'm passing along the information that the Hawks want to play fast. It's not always, that doesn't solve every issue, but what have you made of their pace so far? I know they're playing against bad teams for the most part, but they're pushing, they're pushing, 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 pushing. And actually the game on Saturday was a little bit slower. It was by far their slowest game of the season so far, but the pace stuff that Lloyd Pierce was preaching early on seems to be translating. And I'm wondering what you think about just the way they've looked in that regard. Yeah, they're flying. They're just they're every rebound. Whoever gets it can go. I mean, we had uh, we saw Dwayne Dedman pick up a a, a defensive. Yeah, there rebound. was a grab and go with Dwayne. I was it was actually yeah. really intriguing. He looked good too. Yeah, he looked great, and he found uh, somebody in the corner. I think it was Bazemore, Bembry, somebody in the in the left corner where he and that was fine. I mean, that's what Lloyd Pierce wants. It it was they pushed the ball, they got an early three, and they they made it. So like, I think that's exactly what what he's looking for. Anybody who picks it up can go. I think. Probably Alex Len. I was gonna say he's the, he's Plumlee. the only guy right now that's uh, yeah. playing that can't have that green light. I think is Len, and yeah, Plumlee's not think, gonna play. I mean, yeah, barring, not rotation. Bar, barring injury, Plumlee will not be seen uh, much. Let's just say that. No, he'll be around. I mean, he'll be on the bench. He's, he's just there. Not gonna be yeah. on the floor. Um, but Len is probably the only guy who doesn't have like grab it and go. You know, the, the, that green light, like you were talking about, and you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up, especially for some of the veterans. If they, you know, if, if a guy like Deadman, Bazemore, Prince, even, you know, Prince is not as young as you expect him to be, even though he's only in his third year because he went all four years at uh, at Baylor. He's a little bit older. Like if, uh, as the season wears on, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to keep up that pace. But right now they're really trying to push, you know, and and they have a lot of uh, a lot of guys who are interested in in getting getting down the floor and getting to the corners and trying to, to yam on people in transition. I think they're going to they're gonna try to play fast. And it's not, you know, I think we, we saw that a little bit, I think, from Brooklyn the last couple of years where they sort of masked some of their, some of their woes by just playing at a, this breakneck pace. And so, you know, it can work. It's, it's something that a guy like Jeremy Lin is, is familiar with from his time in Brooklyn. I think they were, they were a pretty fast team when he played for them two years ago. Obviously, last year he didn't play very much for them. Uh, because of the injury so 
you know, I think there that's the sort of template that they're moving toward. And Kenny Atkinson is a former Hawks assistant coach, and they're sort of maybe looking at what Brooklyn is doing and saying, okay, if we, as a bad team, if we can just fly up and down the floor, we, you know, we can mask some of the some of the issues on on both ends of the floor really by just pushing the ball consistently down down our opponents' throats. Yeah, and again, it's not a cure all. And I think um, if you are a if you're someone who's a conspiracy theorist slash um, maybe even real maybe something based on reality, um, the fast pace might help to increase variance and sorry decrease variance and allow people to realize that the Hawks aren't as good as their opponents and lose more games. Uh, that would that's something that's something that I would not say, but it's also a nice a nice byproduct. I think if they're going to play this fast. They're pro- you'll probably get more true outcomes, and that means more losses probably. So I mean, there's that too. But I- I'm just I'm on board with the pace in that it's just a good training tool, um, getting guys to make quick decisions, um, especially because this is a young roster. You know, take Vince Carter off the roster, and this is I think the youngest roster in the league if you took Vince away, um, or at least in the top three. And you know, that's kind of whether you want to play, especially when you have Trey Young, who is that kind of guy, and he's your centerpiece, John Collins long-term, um, is that kind of guy who, who probably would play well in a fast-paced system. You have a bunch of guys who are young who um, would tend to play better in that kind of uh, you know environment. So I'm okay with doing that. I'm not sure they're going to finish number one in pace, but they'll be top five in pace. I would be stunned if they weren't, and uh, we've already seen that early on. And I'm, I'm definitely okay with it, even if you know it's going to slow down a little bit just because that's the nature of the beast. Uh, as the season goes, everyone slows down. That's just kind of what happens. The pace is always the fastest of the season early on, and then everybody gets tired and sort of settles in, and it'll slow down a little bit the Hawks might not honestly like I, I remember asking Pierce uh, early on I think it was in the preseason about the pace and they were playing at like a historically fast pace level and he said they weren't playing fast enough I think some of that's performance art from Lloyd Pierce but still I think he just he's not kidding around it's not like there are some coaches you know everyone says they want to play fast you know Bud famously said he wanted to play he wanted to play fast all the time and they played reasonably fast under Bud at times um, but they were never this, and I think Pierce is actually serious. It's not a, a situation where he's, you know, he expects him to lead the league in pace, I think, or at least be close to it, just because that's, that's been the mandate from day one, and it's not just lip service. He actually wants it. Yeah, I think so. I think the the way he's consistently come back to it, both with us and with the team itself, I mean, obviously they're they're running and gunning every time that they, they have a chance. So I think that the Pierce is really, you know, he, he wants them to play as fast as possible. He wants them to shoot you know, all threes and layups and, and get rid of the mid-range jumpers like pretty much everybody does nowadays. And, you know, I think he's sort of helping usher them a little bit further into the future in terms of a lot of a lot of small ball. You know, we saw in preseason where Alex Poitras would play center and, and they would really try to go as small as possible and just get up and down and really run, you know, run the ball as, as much as they can. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if that keeps up. But, you know, for now, I think it is something, you know, in their core philosophies that, you know, and especially if we look at who they're playing on, you know, on the floor, when, when they have Carter and Len out there, it's harder to, to get up and down than when you have Collins and Deadman. And when they put out Collins, Deadman, Young, Bazemore, Prince, like that's going to be a fast unit. Like they're just going to fly up and down the floor. And so, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see if they can keep it up. But, you know, for now, obviously, they're, they're doing a good job of, of getting up and down. Yeah, for sure. And there's a question about it. Um, last thing before I let you get out of here, the Hawks have two more weeks of this like relatively easy schedule. I'll run it down real quick here. You know, they gotta go they have to go to Philly, which is a tough spot on Monday, but after that, at Cleveland, who just fired their coach, home Sacramento, home Miami, at Charlotte, home New York, home Detroit. 
Um, a very, very easy seven-game, is it seven or eight, uh, seven-game stretch coming up. Um, so knowing what we know now, they're two and three. They're playing seven more games in which I'm not sure they'll be favored in any of them, except for maybe Sacramento at home and maybe New York at home. But a bunch of winnable games. You know, aside from Philly, there's not really another spot on the schedule in the upcoming past where they're like going to be a huge underdog. You think the Hawks can actually be? I mean, that'll be 12 games. Can they go? Five and seven overall. Like, is it a situation where it's, it, that'd be crazy? I know there's always the 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 divergence right now, where some Hawks fans want them to go zero and twelve, and some Hawks fans want them to go twelve and zero, and it's kind of funny. Um, but what do you think is a re- reasonable expectation for like the next seven? Because after that, the schedule gets pretty brutal in in November. Like, there's a stretch where there's like ten or eleven games in a row where they're going to be huge underdogs in all ten. Um, but before then, there are actually some some there's probably some spots to make some headway if they want to. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, there's going to be some winnable games coming up. You know, Sacramento, Miami, even at home a little bit, and and New York, Detroit got blown out last night to Boston. But it seems like Detroit is one of those teams that is going to be much better against bad teams and and is not True. going to hold up against good teams. But you know, I, I think there's you know there's a chance that they're five and seven. I think Sacramento, New York, you can sort of chalk up as as maybe. You know, those are, are they'll they'll be favored in those games, but of course they were favored last night against Chicago and they, they didn't get it done there. So, you know, it's it's hard to for a team like this, of course, it's hard to pencil in a win pretty much anywhere. But, you know, if they can get to even four and eight, five and seven, that's gonna be that's gonna be good enough to where they, they feel good even if they end up losing eleven in a row or something from mid November to, to the end of the month. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise anyone if they lost a bunch of these games because they're still going to be underdogs in most of them. And by the way, they were favored on Saturday, and that didn't go so well. So, uh, you know, keep your expectations moderate. But if the Hawks are going to pile up some wins, it's going to be early because, as I mentioned before, uh, real quick, that, that November stretch is Lakers, Warriors, Nuggets, Pacers, Clippers, Raptors, Celtics, Hornets, Heat, Hornets, Thunder, Warriors, Wizards, Nuggets, all in a row. So basically, that could be uh, an entire like 12, 13 game stretch of all playoff teams, which is uh, tough. Let's just say. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, they're going to be they're going to be hard pressed. I mean, those, a lot of those, some of those games are on the road. Even the, the some of the games that are at home are going to be hard. I mean, they they play Clippers, Toronto, and, and Boston. You know, three you know in, in a week at home. But even those at home are going to be really tough games for them. You know the Clippers are you know might be somebody that they can they can hang with in terms of a playoff team, but you know it's it's really going to be it's going to be a tough stretch for them. They really, for for morale's sake, it would be good to bank some wins if they can beat you know at Cleveland the, the night before Halloween, Sacramento, Miami, New York. Like if they can if they can get to five and seven or even six and six before they they get into that stretch and then they come out of it six and eighteen or whatever, that <laughs> yeah. would probably. That's probably that. That's maybe the best outcome that they they reasonably can can hope for. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. I am looking forward to seeing them play a good team at some point because right now we just haven't seen it. Um, I, I, just for evaluation purposes, I know you and I are just more curious analytical types. I want I want to see them play against a good I guess a good well coached basketball team because even the teams that they've that they've played that might have as much or more talent than the Hawks do have not been particularly well coached. Like that Cleveland game, for instance, where it was like the Cavs were point shaving throughout the game. It was like, come on, what are you doing defensively? Um, 
I, I want to see them play someone that's well coached and that has some talent just to see what the Hawks look like. Like like Miami, for instance. Like Miami's not anything special, uh, but that game on Saturday at home, up close in person, I want to see them play against a team that's like got a bunch of NBA players on it. At Philly is the same thing in that Philly's kind of a mess right now, but at the same time, the Hawks should be playing against a team that has more talent than they do, and I want to see how they react to that. So some interesting times ahead, to be sure, yeah. I know for me and you. And we'll, have, we'll have plenty to talk about, but I'm, I'm just intrigued by that. Yeah, I think the the Philly game is always hard. Like, it's hard to evaluate anybody playing against Philly because of how weird they are, because of the way that Ben Simmons is basically their point guard offensively but plays power forward defensively. And Bede is just such an all-around force that you really don't see with other teams as much, you know, on both ends of the floor for him. And so it's really – it's hard – it's going to be hard to evaluate them against Philly. Of course, it's going to be good to see them play against a a, a well-coached – a good, well-coached team because we haven't had – we haven't seen them play against both of those yet. We've seen well-coached and we've seen – well, we have, really haven't seen a good team yet, but we've seen a couple of well-coached teams so far. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they, how they match up against a team who is relatively conventional in the way they play but is also well-coached. I think that's where Miami comes in. That's where Charlotte comes in a little bit. But I've really liked what Borrego has done with, with the Hornets. I think he's – He's brought a, an interesting sort of line. His lineup decisions are interesting. I really like what they're doing for, in terms of an out of the out of the box solution to some of their problems. So, I think Miami is the one that we can really ping in, in terms of something over the next two weeks where they're going to play a, a team that has a lot of traditional a lot of traditional roles and is very 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 well coached. By, you know, Eric Spolstra is one of the best coaches in the league. How do they respond against against a team like the Heat who? Like you said, have a bunch of NBA guys, have a really high-end NBA coach. How do they? How do they pick up against a, a team like that? Yep, it should be very interesting to watch. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for joining me. As always, my friend, uh, please plug yourself. You'll be on the pod. Uh, I think by far you are the most frequent guest of the podcast. That's not going to change. Um, so you'll be back in short order, I'm sure. But please plug everything that you, that you have going on because there's a lot to plug. And uh, definitely your your new venture over at Early Bird Rights that happened. I think you already, I think you might have plugged it once before the season, but definitely tell people where they can find the scouting report stuff as well. Yeah, if you're uh, if you're interested in salary cap stuff, if you're interested in scouting reports, I've got a lot of stuff going on over at Early Bird Rights right now. I'm I'm traveling. I have been for the last little while, so I'm not updating it as much as I will when I get back in about a week. Um, Early Bird Rights is where I I post a lot of playbook stuff as well. If you're interested in set plays that teams are running, I've got a backlog of probably 50 to 75, maybe 100 plays that I'm going to eventually write up for early bird rights or somewhere else, depending on if they, if they want that sort of content. Um, you can find the rest of my stuff on Twitter at JG Siegel. I'm all over the place. Forbes.com, Peachtree hoops, fear the sword, blazer's edge. Um, well, I might be missing one up rocks, dime up rocks. Um, that's the one that I think I was missing. I can't remember whether I said that or Forbes. It doesn't matter. Everything goes on Twitter earlybirdrights.com has salary cap stuff, scouting, all that stuff. If you're interested in the Hawks, you're probably already reading Peachtree Hoops. If you're not, that's kind of weird. How'd you find this podcast if you're not <laughs> reading Peachtree Hoops? But whatever. If you if you like the Hawks, Brad and I are all over uh, uh, at, uh, at Peachtree Hoops. So lots of, lots of content coming this season. And, and just you can follow me on Twitter and find everything. 
please follow Jeff. He does fantastic work, and uh, we'll both be in the building again on Thursday when the Hawks come home. But between now and then, two road games, and then we'll uh, we'll all reconvene Thursday night against the Kings. So, anyway, with that with that said, thank you, Jeff, for joining me as always, and uh, everybody else. Please subscribe to the podcast. I will have a new show after Monday night's game. The Hawks are, as we've said, I mean, uh, a few minutes ago, they're in Philly on Monday, so plenty of eyeballs on that game as Lloyd Pierce returns and Justin Anderson's not playing, but Mike Muscala playing against the Hawks, which, which will be weird and all kinds of stuff there. So we'll break that all down on Tuesday morning. And until then, please stay tuned.